Amen. Thank you all. Good job. Good song. You know, this morning you're not praying to a reluctant God. Um, there's a God in heaven who wants you to be saved, who wants to be close to you. It's a great thought. Go ahead and get in your Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We will be on page 779, John chapter 1. Hope everybody had a good Christmas season. I know Christmas season was a blessing around here as a church. We enjoyed it as a, a family. I do know it's a tough time of year for some people, but it's certainly for all of us just a great time to remember God's wonderful gift of Jesus Christ to the world. By the way, before I start too, I just want to also just pause and thank everybody. So many of you gave uh, my wife and I cards and cookies and gift cards and all kinds of things like that. Thank you uh, for your thoughtfulness, your generosity. Really, it, it means a lot uh, to, to Sharon and I. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started a lengthy Sunday morning series on great texts in the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the Gospel of John. Uh, everything in the Bible, of course, is inspired and has been preserved through the centuries by God uh, for us. Uh, and though most of us find the New Testament easier to understand and more applicable to us, all the Bible is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And all of the Bible is uh, good for an example to us. In fact, uh, Paul said in Corinthians that the end of the world has come upon us and that all those things are written for our admonition. Not all the Bible is about the gospel. The only Bible is not the New Testament. All of it is there in one way or another for your good and for mine. Uh, and though all of it is inspired, all of it is preserved, there's no question that some of it is clearer uh, than others and some parts are more applicable than others and some parts are more important uh, than others. And I want us to see uh, those mountain peaks of scriptures over the course, uh, Lord willing anyway, of the next uh, months. Uh, last Sunday morning on Christmas Eve, we went back to the prophet Isaiah and we talked about one of the great Old Testament prophecies there. Uh, we took a brief look at Isaiah's prophecy of a coming Messiah who would be born of a virgin, who would be called Emmanuel, which by interpretation means God with us. We rejoice that the baby in the manger was God with us. We rejoice that the Savior walking among us was God with us. We rejoice that the Spirit of God living in us is God with us. We rejoice that the Savior returning to earth to reign will be God with us. What a great, great truth. But today, I want to return to the Gospel of John, and I want to speak about another mountain from the Scripture. Uh, nearly everyone understands that if we are going to live a life that is faithful, uh, charactered, and emotionally healthy, uh, it's going to require balance. If you're here and you've tried to be a productive human being and a faithful Christian and have healthy relationships, you're not only going to recognize that that's going to keep you busy, uh, that also is going to require balance. There is always more good to do than any of us have time available to do it. In fact, it's not even just that balancing our life is difficult uh, when we think about all the things to balance. It's also difficult because the balance point keeps moving. And different things happen in our life, in our culture, 
uh, in our ministry, uh, with us personally, and that balance point keeps moving, which makes it easy to get out of balance. Out of balance in our personal fitness, out of balance in how we handle our children, out of balance in our work uh, time and family time, out of balance in our ministry, out of balance in our marriage, out of balance in uh, you name it. In fact, many people work for a company and the company calls themselves family friendly. And what that really means is as long as you get your job done and it doesn't hinder your work, spend time with your family. It's easy to be out of balance. And another difficult thing about living a balanced life is uh, you can't give 100% to anything. Uh, one of the things in, in announcements, and I do this every year, pass out the sheet that allows us to just look at different areas of our life, to evaluate our life, to try, try to take steps forward in our life. You know, you shouldn't put 10 as the goal in every area of life. In some areas of life, if you're doing a six, that's balance. It's hard because we want to give 100% to everything, but you can't. You wouldn't be balanced. Something else that's important takes some of that. And because it's easy to get out of balance, even when we're trying, all of us have spent seasons of life that are out of balance. I would liken life to this. You have... 20, have you ever seen anybody spin a plate and then the sp plate spins on top? I, I would liken life to having 20 of those plates spinning on stems. And as soon as the plate begins to wobble, you go over and you get that one spinning again. And then another one's wobbling and you get that one spinning again. I, I, I would liken life to that. There's a young man, his name is Tyler Schuer. He's an entertainer. He's done hundreds of halftime shows at both college and professional basketball games. Uh, he's famous for being able to balance things on his face. Go ahead, there's a slide, uh, a picture of him. He's got a 10-foot ladder there balancing on his face. Now, now, most of us, if the ladder was on the floor, we'd have a tough time balancing as we got near the top. Uh, Tyler balances bicycles, wheelbarrows, and all kinds of things on his face while dancing and moving around. I, I can't even balance in one leg for very long. I would never even try to balance a wheelbarrow on my face. Most of us can't balance a basketball spinning on one of our fingers. But you know, balancing, standing on one leg and balancing a basketball on our finger or balancing things on our face, it's not anywhere near as important as balancing our life. Did you know that Jesus of Nazareth perfectly balanced two of the most difficult things to balance in life. You can go ahead and take the slide down. If you would stand this morning, please, in honor of the Word of God. The title of my thought this morning is Full of Grace and Truth. Full of Grace and Truth. In John chapter 1, we begin in verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he whom, of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. 
the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Thank you, you might be seated. We, a few weeks ago, talked about who the Word was, and remember how John started his gospel by going back to the beginning, not the beginning of an angelic announcement to Zacharias, not the beginning of angel Gabriel coming to Mary and say that she would be birthing the Christ, not the beginning when uh, Caesar Augustus made a taxing that all the world should be taxed, the beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1 there, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and we saw how that before there was time, remember time began when there was an earth, and time began when there was a sun, and the earth rotated around its axis, and the earth rotated around the sun to measure time. And before time began, on day four of creation week, you say, I thought there was light on day one. You're right. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. But there was no light from the solar system and no light from planetary things until day four. And before time began was the Word, capital W. He was with God. He was God. He was the Creator. In verse 14, remember, we learned that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full in grace and truth. And that Word that was from the beginning, who was with God, who was the Creator, that's Jesus. And the glory of Jesus manifested on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, was the kind of glory that only the Creator could have when the Creator was made flesh. But John here, as he begins in verse 14, he says that he is full of grace and truth. Most of the time we just read over that statement. It's actually a very interesting statement and very important. Have you ever really thought about it? Grace is giving good things that are not deserved. Grace is warm. Grace is approachable. Grace is open. We're saved by grace. Salvation is a good gift given by the Father to those who humble themselves and trust Christ. We're kept secure, securely saved by grace. Listen, security is a good gift given by God our Father to those who are saved. God doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm going to trust you by your strength and your wisdom to remain saved. God says, no, I'm going to keep you saved by my grace and my strength. We are gifted by grace. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift from God. God didn't look down and say, wow, that's somebody who deserved that. God said by grace, I'm going to gift you like that. We're gifted by grace, something good we did not deserve. In fact, anything good you and I had, not just in 2023, but in any time in our life, anything you and I got that was good was grace from God. I don't debate that it's a good question. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't debate that that's a, a, that's a good question. But there's actually a better question. Why did good things happen to any of us? And the answer to that better question is the grace of God. God giving more good than any of us deserve. Jesus was full of grace, but he was not just full of grace. He's also full of truth, and truth is a great contrast to grace. Grace is warm, it is approachable, it is open. Truth 
is cold, unapproachable, unbending, and closed to everything that's false. It is a truth that sets us free from lies and partial information and deception. It is the truth that becomes a foundation for our confidence, for good decisions, and for an actual hope of a better tomorrow. It is truth that shows believers how we can live in a manner that pleases our thrice holy creator. Though truth and grace struggle to exist together in balance among you and I, Jesus Christ was full of grace and full of truth. Grace and truth existed in perfect balance in him and in his life and in his ministry. Now notice I did not say that everyone agreed with how Jesus balanced truth and grace. I said truth and grace existed in perfect balance with Jesus Christ, though many disagree with the real Jesus. Listen, study the gospel accounts, and what you will find is that there were some who thought Jesus was too soft in sin, too open to sinners coming to him, too patient with believers who failed to be what he taught and modeled for them. Others sought Jesus to be too hard. They thought he was too narrow, too sharp, too unbending in some of his criticisms of both people and their religion. And though people regularly did not agree with the real Jesus and his balance of grace and truth, he was perfectly balanced and he was full of grace and full of truth. Have you ever thought about what a great testimony that is coming from the lips and the pen of the Apostle John? For between three and three and a half years, John the Apostle was with Jesus pretty much 24-7. He saw Jesus when he was tired. He saw Jesus when he was angry. He saw Jesus at the end of a difficult day. He saw Jesus when people made unreasonable demands of him. He saw Jesus when people forsook him after he had done so much for them. John was with Jesus in all the difficult situations of life, and he walked away and said of Jesus of Nazareth, and John would have known Jesus better than any other human being, maybe with the exception of Peter, but probably John more than any other human being, and he said, Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. Now, for the most part, you and I, depending on our spiritual gifts and natural disposition, we are more easily focused on one or the other. In fact, it takes thoughtful effort and the help of God for any of us to come anywhere close to balancing truth and grace. And in our text, we learn that John the Apostle was not the first witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was John the Baptist, and that's what he says in verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Uh, John the Apostle, if you remember, he never mentions himself by name in his gospel. He's mentioned by name in Matthew. He's mentioned by name in Mark. He's mentioned by name in Luke. But in his own gospel, he never mentions himself by name. Five times he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so John here is not John the Apostle. John here is John the Baptist. And though John the Baptist had a birth that was announced by angels, and though John the Baptist had a ministry that was prophesied in the Old Testament, John the Baptist said of Jesus, I am not worthy to 
unlatch his shoe, and he was around before I was. That was John's witness. Listen, John the Baptist understood, though John the Baptist in our book deserves glory. Listen, the creator always deserves more glory than the creature. And then he goes on to say that everyone has received of the fullness and grace of truth of Jesus and grace to be saved and grace to live as we ought to live. In verse 16, he says, And of his fullness, the fullness of Christ, have all we received, and grace for grace. You remember from verse 9, it says of Jesus, He was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus isn't just the light to the elect. He is not just the light to the Jews. He's a light to every person. He's not just a light to every person. We read in verse 16 that all people, all of us have received of his fullness, of his grace for grace. Everyone who is, we learned before, who has responded to the light they have are given more light. And if you continue to respond to the light God gives you in the end, you will clearly be exposed to the fullness of God's grace and truth, and you will have grace to be saved. And if you're saved, you will get grace to be able to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're sitting here thinking, I'm saved, but there's no way I can live for Jesus. You, you don't know my family. You don't know my background. Listen, there's grace for you and I to live for Jesus, all of us. And I said, it's easy. I said, we can do it by the grace of God. We all need grace to be saved. We're all unworthy sinners needing the good gift of God in Christ. We all, as believers, need grace to live faithfully and to live a blessed life. Uh, the good news is, is that because Jesus lives, there's grace for you and I to be saved and to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that that's the case. He goes on then to say, you know, Moses was a great man of God and a leader, but the message and life of Moses were more about truth than grace. That's what he says in the beginning of verse 17. He says, for the law was given by Moses. Grace did not start in the New Testament with Jesus. Listen, Jehovah is a gracious God. He was gracious in the Old Testament. Uh, listen, God was gracious to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was God himself who went and sought them after they had sinned, and God himself who shed the first blood to cover them with a coat of skins. That was the grace of God. In Genesis it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God spared Noah and his family in an ark that was an ark of grace. Hey, listen, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, though, at times in their life, uh, they had great faith. Understand that they were not blessed, and they did not do what they did because of their works. They were blessed by the grace of God. God gave them more good than they really deserved. God was gracious to Israel and Egypt. He preserved them for 400 years. He delivered them through Moses from their Egyptian slavery. He was gracious to them in the wilderness. He gave them manna six days a week. Uh, he, even though they murmured and complained and griped about God's plan for their life and God's plan for their growth, God just graciously uh, continued to overlook it and God gave them his commandments. He gave them the truth and then he graciously gave them a plan to find forgiveness through a blood sacrifice. God has always been gracious. But the life and ministry and commandments of Moses, they were focused on truth. And though both God and Moses exhibited grace, Moses in the Old Testament, they're focused on truth. 
And in contrast to truth coming by Moses in the law, in the end of verse 17 says, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus could publicly rebuke Peter and say to him, to his face, in public, get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. That's cold, hard truth. But he also could lovingly re-enlist Peter and say to him three times, uh, feed my sheep, follow me. Choose him to preach a message at Pentecost. He's gracious and truthful. Listen, Jesus could forgive a woman taken in adultery and say, go and sin no more. And he could also publicly call the Pharisees whited sepulchers, hypocrites, fools, vipers. He's full of grace and truth. How Jesus could forgive those who drove the spikes in his hands and his feet while they were forgiving him. But he also could allow the thief on his one side who rejected him, he allowed him to die in his sins. He was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There never has been, nor will there ever be, anyone else like the Lord Jesus. Full of grace and full of truth. And though grace and truth are unlikely travel companions, they traveled perfectly well together in the Lord Jesus. There's a story told about a couple who were having a lot of conflict over balancing the checkbook. And the husband really didn't want to take the responsibility for it. And the wife didn't really want him responsible for it. But he would always, uh, after she would balance the checkbook, he would always go over it. And there were a lot of problems and one time they were in a disagreement over it and they basically agreed that she would take a hard look at the checkbook. He'd look at it in the morning and that they would go from there. In the morning, she proudly said, I've done it. I've made the checkbook balance perfectly with the bank statement. Husband was impressed. He came over. He took a look. He says, let's see here. Okay, mortgage, $1,350. Good. Electricity, $288.10, good. A phone bill, $75. But his brow wrinkled a little bit as he saw the last entry. It said ESP, $615. He said to his wife, what in the world is ESP that cost us $650? She smiled a little bit. She said, well, that means error someplace. There is no error someplace with the Lord Jesus. He was never too soft because he was being too gracious. Jesus was never too hard because he was being too truthful. He perfectly balanced grace and truth unlike some of our checkbooks and all of our lives. And though today many fail to see the truth side of Jesus, so it was perfectly on display, and others today fail to see the grace side of Jesus, it was also perfectly on display. Jesus was full of grace and truth. What I'd like to do this morning for just a few minutes is make some observations and applications of Jesus being full of grace and truth. Please first go in your Bible to Luke chapter 7. 
Everybody awake today? All right, just curious. Tomorrow's the day when everybody's supposed to be a little groggy. Observations and applications of Jesus being full of grace and truth. Here's number one. The graciousness of Jesus bothered some people who heard him. The graciousness of Jesus bothered some people who heard him. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, it says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. By the way, before we go on, notice, Jesus, uh, the Pharisees basically were middle class people, upper middle class people, lower upper class people. Uh, Jesus ate in the Pharisee's house. Jesus was not just a friend of publicans and sinners. He did not just eat with publicans and sinners. He did that. But he also ate with people who we might call up and in. Verse 37. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him, weeping, began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisee, which had bid, bid him, saw it, he spake within himself. Now, notice he doesn't say this out loud. He spake within himself. By, by the way, you and I think we know what people are thinking. We don't. Just ourselves. This guy thought that, and Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking. So he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. <laughs> By the way, it isn't just Pharisees who were at times frustrated with the graciousness of Jesus. At times his disciples were frustrated with his graciousness. You remember the story of when he was in Samaria and just because they weren't looking the way Jesus was going, uh, John and James says, hey, Lord, you want us to call fire down on them? Jesus says, no, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. Do you remember the story of parents bringing young children to Jesus to bless them and his disciples, get away, get away? Jesus says, hey, suffer the little children to come unto me. What was that? That was them frustrated with how gracious Jesus was. See, Jesus didn't just eat with publicans and sinners. He also ate with wealthy Pharisees. And here, <laughs> this man presumes that Jesus should not have allowed this woman to touch his feet. It's really an example of someone frustrated with the graciousness of Jesus. Listen, everybody is a sinner, but this woman was more than for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't know if she was a prostitute. We don't know if she was a drug addict. We don't know what kind of obvious presumptuous sin she lived in, but whatever it was, it was very obvious, and this Pharisee did not like that Jesus was gracious to her. Prompts him to tell him a a parable about forgiveness, and notice what he says to close out in verse 48. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? I'll tell you who he was. It's God manifest in flesh. 
He said unto the woman in verse 50, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. Notice he doesn't say you buying that ointment saved thee. He doesn't say that you publicly wiping my feet with your hairs saved thee. Thy faith hath saved thee. And all those things she did were an example, a demonstration of the real faith in her heart. We're not told how she knew about Jesus. We're not told exactly what she had done to humbly seek his mercy and forgiveness, but she knew where to go, (laughs) and she knew how to be saved. She knew she needed to come to Jesus Christ. Jesus was full of grace, though some did not like it. Listen, have you ever really thought about how differently man would look at this situation? Man and religion would say, no, fix your life and then come. Jesus says, no, hey, you come to me as you are, I'll help you fix your life. That's how man and religion are. Man's plan of salvation would always include good works. It would always include religion. And listen, Jesus' plan is faith. God's plan is salvation by grace through faith. Paul could not have been clearer when he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He could not have been clearer. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He could not have been clearer. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Listen, Jesus was full of grace. You're here this morning, and you grew up in a protected environment. And by the grace of God, he chose to birth your soul in a family where they pointed you to Jesus and the Bible and the church from the womb. Listen, no matter if that's you, you're sufficiently a sinner and sufficiently guilty before God because you're a liar and a thief and a blasphemer that you need to be saved. And that salvation is by God's good grace. If you're here this morning and that's not your background and your background is that God did not place you in one of uh, those kinds of environment and instead God placed you in a difficult environment or maybe he placed you in a decent environment and you know that all your life you have denied and fought against everything that is good and everything that is holy and everything that is of Christ. You've had no interest in the church. You've had no interest in the Bible. You've had no interest in the things of God. And if that's you this morning, the grace of God is still sufficient for you He loves you and wants to save you by grace. But you cannot come to God on your terms. You cannot be saved by your plan. Because the gracious Savior is also full of truth. You need to be saved this morning. Jesus is the one door that opens to eternal life by grace through faith in Him. Would you turn to the Savior today if that's you? Would you humble yourself to call upon the name of the Lord? Would you stop thinking that you're not bad enough to need salvation? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Would you stop thinking that you've gone so far that God is no longer interested in you? Listen, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow because he's a Savior who's gracious. In a few moments, we'll have an invitation. I hope you'll respond. No matter who you are, if God's speaking to your heart and drawing you to Christ, today is a day to be saved. There's no better day than now. But it's not just that because Jesus was full of grace and that his graciousness has bothered some people at times. Turn up a few pages to Luke chapter 11 because secondly this morning, the truthfulness of Jesus bothered some who heard him at times. 
It isn't just the graciousness of Jesus bothered some who heard him at times, both his disciples and others. Uh, listen, the truthfulness of Jesus bothered some at times, his disciples and the Pharisees. Now to me, uh, this is one of the most phenomenal stories in the Bible because it is an insight into who Jesus was that's hard to see a lot of times. Um, and it's really contrary to the cultural view of the real Jesus. Uh, by the way, what's going to happen here, I would never recommend anybody do this. I would not do this. But Jesus did. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. As he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. So notice he's going to another Pharisee's house to eat. Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners, but he also ate with Pharisees. And this is not the Pharisee and his family. This is a Pharisee and a bunch of other religious leaders all at this Pharisee's house. Verse 38, and when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Notice, the Pharisee is not going to say anything. He just marveled at what Jesus did. See, the Jews had all these ritualistic washings, and you had to wash so many times. You had to have your hands up so that the water ran down, you know, off your arms instead of on your hands. A lot of ritualistic uh, washings that were associated with their religion. And Jesus, he goes to this Pharisee's house. He could have just conformed to get along. He knew what they wanted. But he's not going to do it. And the Pharisee doesn't say anything. He just marvels that Jesus doesn't uh, do what he expected him to do. And Jesus is going to speak. Again, I don't recommend doing this. This... If you ever, if you, if you in your mind, you say, well, how could the world reject Jesus? How could most of the people reject him? Uh, that's because you only know part of who Jesus was. You've only been told the grace part. It's real, the grace part. But there's a truth part, and notice what's going to happen because the Pharisee marveled. In the Pharisee's own house, verse 39, and the Lord said unto him, now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. By the way, before we go on, notice he's speaking to this man, him, says unto him. Notice it says, now do ye Pharisees. Now, so this is not personal to this guy. He didn't say, now thou as a Pharisee. Remember, pronouns with T, thee, thou, and thine, they're singular. Pronouns with Y, ye, you, and yours. So it's in the Pharisee's house. He speaks personally to the Pharisee, but he addresses the religion, not this individual. By the way, ravening, that means devouring. He says, uh, not, listen, it's pretty truthful talk to say the Pharisees were full of ravening and wickedness. Verse 40, ye fools, did not he that make that which is without make that which is within also? But rather give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over the judgment and the love of God. These ought you to have done, not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, 
For he loved the uppermost seats in synagogues and greetings in the markets. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. Would you say that's a pretty much of an ouch moment? Uh, by the way, you can get mad at me all you want. All I did was just teach the Bible. There's way too much making up our own personality for Jesus in our world. It's tough, truthful talk to call the Pharisees fools. That's one of the harshest biblical criticisms. It's tough, truthful talk to tell them in verse 41 they lack charity. It's tough, truthful talk to tell them in verse 42 the priorities were messed up. Listen, some people say, well, Jesus never taught on tithing. Yes, he did. He taught here that you ought to tithe the garden spices that you do, but you ought to not overlook the most important things like the justice and love of God while you do them. He says, listen, what you're doing with the details is fine, but you have left off the most important things and focused on the details. Listen, Jesus didn't rebuke the Pharisees for keeping the details of Scripture. He kept the details of Scripture, but he did rebuke them for being focused on the details details and overlooking the most important things in the Pharisee's own house. It's tough talk to tell them that they had the externals of their life under control, but they were ignoring the dead men bones in their own hearts and minds. By the way, if you ever wonder how people could be toward the real... A lot of people think, oh, if Jesus came back in America, everybody would flock to him. No, they wouldn't. It would be just like when he came the first time. There would be some that would flock to him and follow him with all their heart. There would be some that would flock to him and follow him some. There would be some that would flock to him and follow him a little. But most people, they wouldn't want anything to do with him. The real Jesus. Every house is really his house, including that Pharisee's. And it wasn't just the Pharisees who struggled at times with Jesus' truthfulness. His disciples struggled with it too at times. How do you think Peter felt when, as I said earlier from Matthew 16, Jesus said to him in public, I'll get behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. That's pretty tough talk. Reading Luke chapter 24 when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with two committed disciples. And he says to them, oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Do you remember the story where they're going across the Sea of Galilee and a big storm comes up? Do you remember that story? And seasoned fishermen, because of the waves and the storm, the boat filling with both, they woke him up and said, Lord, Lord, uh, we're, we're going to perish. And he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he calmed the storm, and he said to those disciples, where's your faith? That's tough, truthful talk. Jesus was full of grace, thank God. Jesus was also full of truth, thank God. You see, most people today, just like then, they don't really want to hear the truth if it contradicts what they want to do with their life. Most believers today, just like most believers then, they don't want to hear the truth if it contradicts the priorities they want to live with. 
Listen, it's a wonderful thing that being a follower of Jesus means that when we die because of the grace of God and the blood of Christ, that we live forever with God in heaven. It's a wonderful thing that if he returns in the clouds this afternoon, that we meet him in the clouds in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord? What a wonderful thing. But understand that he also wants us to live for him now. You ever really thought about it? What happened... Remember in, in Acts chapter 1 when they had the prayer meeting in the upper room? you remember how many were there? 120 people. You remember that? Have you ever wondered what happened to the thousands of people he healed? What happened to the thousands of people he fed? What happened to the thousands of people who heard him speak and were moved in their heart to know that never man spake like this man and that every word out of his mouth was very, was literally the very words of God. Have you ever wondered what happened to those people? I'll tell you what happened. They didn't want to hear the truth. Are you a lover of truth? Are you willing to face truth as it comes from the mouth of the Savior or the written pages of God's Word? See, Jesus isn't just full of grace. He's also full of truth. Will you seek the truth of God? Will you be hunger, hungry for the truth of God? Will you keep yourself in a place where there are truth tellers? Will you be a lover of truth? The truth sets us free. The truth opens the door to obedience to our creator. The truth is a foundation of stability in life. And it's not just that Jesus was full of truth that bothered people at times. Lastly, and I'm just going to be very brief. Here's number three. You and I need to grow in grace and in knowledge of God. By the way, knowledge of God is just another way of saying truth. <laughs> That's from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says to you and I, grow in grace and in truth. Listen, if you and I, though we will never be full of grace and truth like Jesus is, if you and I are going to grow in grace and truth, we're going to grow into it. You're not going to be born into it. It's not going to come automatically. It's not going to come in a month. It's not going to come in a year but we ought to be growing both in grace and in truth. You say, Brother Wally, how can I do that? Uh, how about decide you don't have to choose one or the other? You say, Brother Wally, how can I do that? How about decide that it's not okay to just embrace what comes naturally? See, all of us, by our natural disposition and spiritual gifts, are inclined to one or another. Um, for me and my natural disposition, my spiritual gifts, I'm inclined to truth. I'm a truth lover. That's easy for me. For other people, your natural disposition is different and your spiritual gifts are like showing mercy or exhortation. And quite frankly, it's easy for you to see grace and embrace grace. And just like it's hard for me to relate to this, it's hard for this to relate to me, which is our last thought. This is one of the reasons the Lord gave us the church, so that we are all exposed and regularly with people who are different from us. The fact of the matter is, as though I might at times, especially when I was younger and less mature, not that I'm, I am older, but I'm not really mature yet, 
I don't think that I appreciated what those group of people added to me. And I needed them. And I think if you're in this group, I think if you're not careful, you won't appreciate what this group adds to you. And the fact of the matter is, is we need each other to be a body of Christ, to be more like Jesus, full of grace and truth. And when you and I refuse to allow those who are different from us by virtue of their gifts and natural dispositions, we will never grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior like we ought. Amen? You quietly stand.